The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fifty-one plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight, I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch, here it is. Swung, fly ball, deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, 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 Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. High five, ball. Back to right center, and the Braves have landed. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser, yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Swing and drive. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero. Dylan here, and I would like to inform you, as always, that our show today is brought to you by MyBookie, mybookie.ag, the number one online sports book, not just in the state of Georgia, because we're not they're not in the state of Georgia, not just in the United States, but in the world. MyBookie.ag has the most updated lines, all the prop bets you could ever think to ask for. If you're a guy that likes to play uh, over-under with first-half points, MyBookie is the way to go, whether it's college basketball, college football. I mean, they've probably got college lacrosse if you really want to be a degenerate. MyBookie.ag all the fun thrills of gambling without having to worry about getting your kneecaps broken and looking like Joe Pesci. MyBookie.ag, all you have to do is is use our promo code armchair and they will give you a 100% initial deposit match up to $1,000. That means when you make your account, it's going to have you put in an initial amount. You can put in whatever you want up to $1,000 and MyBookie will match that. That's double the money. That's double the fun. MyBookie.ag, play, win, and have a great time. All right, Doc, it is the winter meetings going on right now in Major League Baseball, and by the time that you out there are hearing this, it will be the final day of the winter meetings. Um, I kind of feel like the winter meetings get talked up a lot. I don't... And th- there's a fair bit happening right now, but this this offseason in and of itself has been kind of crazy with how fast it's gone. But I want to start out asking you, do we kind of overrate the winter meetings a little bit? It just seems like in years past... Not a lot of big-time stuff is really getting done. I think with the general nature of it, it, it's got that convention atmosphere, and you get everybody in a room, and uh, it kind of turns into a little bit of a big party, and you're not chasing other GMs or executives down through text message. You can just meet up with somebody. Everybody remembers the the infamous Ken Rosenthal tweet of Dave Stewart and John Coppola had lunch together today, and then later that day is when the Dansby Swanson for Shelby Miller deal wound up going down. It, it's possible that in the past couple of years, it's been a little overrated because the market's been so stagnant. Everybody was expecting to go in the winter meetings and have it just be a free-for-all, and it wound up being um, 
just pretty lukewarm for the entire time. This year, it's kind of it might have overcorrected a little bit for all of the different signings that wound up happening this week. So as long as they're like this, I think that they're pretty adequately rated. But for the frozen markets of 17 and 18, I think they were pretty, pretty overrated. And can we just say, by the way, how much nicer it is to have this many signings that just continue to happen? They've been spaced out very well, although there's a lot to get to today about a lot of stuff that's been going down. But overall, this offseason has been such a nice change from the past two years. There's been consistently there's been something going on basically every week where there's been a real name dropping, not not things like bench bats and 26th man on the roster types. It's, it's been a lot of players who've been signing fairly early. I'm starting to wonder if the players have kind of evolved as well as the management as far as getting the deals done quick instead of trying to hold out for you know, something like $10 million more and maybe recognizing that it's not really worth the hassle of waiting an extra three months for what amounts to an extra million dollars a year. I think you, you kind of touched on something last week when we were talking about the possibility of a strike in a couple years. With the CBA negotiations set for after the 2021 season, there's a lot of tension going on between between everybody right now. And I think that teams being a little bit more willing to open up and say, okay, we'll give you the kind of the money that you're looking for. We'll, we'll unfreeze all of the negotiations between teams and agents, players. So I think this is a really good step towards getting things back to normal. And so everybody's going into this next round of negotiations with the same objective, which is to keep baseball going, keep both sides kind of happy, even if you have to sacrifice a couple things. Because things were going down a really, really bad road for a minute. It was almost inevitable that there was going to be a strike. So I think that if as long as everybody starts working together now, then you'll be able to avoid some of that. And th- this is a big step. And... Within the past three days, we've seen two of the biggest contracts ever handed out. Now, this is different from last season with Bryant and Machado when there was just waiting and waiting and waiting and everybody's getting it done now. So like I said, this this is really good for the winter meetings and thus good for the sport. Because, I mean, Scott Boris has <laughs> presided over like $663 million worth of contracts in the past couple of days. It's not bad. It's not bad. That's absolutely ridiculous. And you're talking about the amount of contracts. Well, I guess we should get down to what's been uh, happening along the wire so far this week. We're recording this on Wednesday, so you guys know we. Uh, the first thing we're going to talk about is the Steven Strasburg signing because it was the first major, major domino to fall. It was at seven and two forty-five, uh, which <laughs> equates out if you're uh, if you're not a math genius, equates out to thirty-five million dollars a season. Uh, which, if you're keeping track at home, would make him the highest paid pitcher of all time per average annual value, just ahead of Zach Granke's 34 and a half. Uh, and that was the number one contract for, oh, I don't know, two days? A week? Yeah. It's not, not wholly dissimilar to last year when Harper signed his mega deal and then Trout got his for about $100 million more just a couple of days later, it seemed like. Yeah, because after that happens, by the way, that seven-year 245 will carry him through his age 38 season. Now, we can talk about Strasburg, and we will in a sec when we start breaking down all these contracts, but just for the sake of visibility here, the big one obviously coming down today, or last night really, uh, in a lot this morning, is Garrett Cole to the Yankees for nine years and $324 million. It just sounds so ridiculous when you say it. I cannot believe they gave him that much money. We knew he was going to get paid. 
even even in a frozen market, he was going to get get two hundred million. That is thirty six million dollars a year for the next nine seasons, which coincidentally will also take him through his age thirty eight season. And Garrett Cole was masterful in twenty nineteen. I saw this stat, the doc. I don't know if you saw it, but he had a hundred and seventy six strikeouts just on four seam fastballs. <laughs> no, I had not seen that, but that's that's a really good stat. <laughs> it's impressive. I mean, since since he went to Houston, this stat might blow your mind a little bit. This is just since Houston. He's had 339 innings pitched and 407 strikeouts. Oh I mean, no, I don't want to say that nobody's worth that level of money, okay? Because when you play, when the season is so long, you're wind up generating a lot of value here. But even though he's still pitching every fifth day, that's how you wind up getting thirty-six million dollars a year and making basically four thousand dollars an hour, uh, or however however much it is for the next nine years. It's just unbelievable. Well, he's going to have to do that. He's going to have to continue with those insane K rates because. A lot of people kind of getting lost up in Garrett Cole's numbers the past two seasons with good reason. He's been, it, it seems like he's gone out and gotten double digit strikeouts like just every single time that he's basically pretty much all of last year. He struck out more than the combination of the other squad, the relievers and starters. It's just something incredible that Cole's been able to do since he went to the Astros and really hammered out his spin rates. And a lot of people think, you know, that it's the curveball that's going to be the out pitch. Well, for Garrett Cole, it's his four seam fastball. It just explodes out of his hand. It's got a lot of run on it. Uh, and Houston seemed to do a great job of unlocking it. But, but, and this is a big but when you're talking about $36 million, there's a lot of tape and a lot of evidence on Garrett Cole when he was with the Pirates working with a very well renowned pitching coach, Ray Searage, that he was hamstrung by the home run ball a lot and I know Verlander got away with giving up 30 home runs last year because that was the only runs he would ever give up but if you're if you're talking if you're the Yankees and you're talking 36 million dollars and Garrett Cole comes into that little league ballpark I mean it would not be out of the realm of possibility if if he has some sort of falling off from leaving Houston or or just adjusting to the ballpark his homers per nine could be up over one and a half up towards 1.6 or seven we kind of talked about this beforehand. I, I swear we've uttered that phrase every single episode. We talked about this before the show. But if he does have some of the inevitable regression, because Houston really has just done a great job of unlocking something in him. I know you talked about the spin rates, but they, they've exploited every, every single bit of talent that he's got. And you never want to talk about inevitable regression, but I mean, it's entirely possible that he's going to take a little bit of a step back. Houston is much bigger than New York. So when he, when he is pitching there, people talk about how hard it is to pitch there. You saw it with guys like Sonny Gray is a really good example. And as soon as he got out of New York, he was great. But he was awful when he was in the Bronx. And they hated him. And he wasn't making that much money. J.A. Happ is, is the exact same. Got $17 million to go to New York. And unfortunately for J.A. Happ, he's not a guy that throws 97, 98 mile an hour. So he gives up a ton of homers there. I mean, James Paxton... Luckily, Paxton has been quietly really good for them when he's been on the field, but that's something that Paxton's going to have to adjust to as well. It's just, it's not even just Yankee Stadium, too. When you think about it, it's the entire AL East. Every ballpark in that division, except for Tampa, is one of the best hitters' ballparks in baseball. Yeah, 
And Yankees fans are notoriously harsh on, well, on everything really, but especially on their own players. So $36 million, if he backs up even a little bit, they're going to turn on him so quick. That city's going to eat him alive. New York's not for everybody, man. And I know he grew up a Yankees fan, and he probably knows exactly how brutal Yankees fans can be, but man... What you- well, it does open up the question that I have to ask you. How would you grade that deal? Do I have to answer right now? Can you ask me again in a decade? Nope. Uh, nope. You got to project it now. You got to look like the smart guy. Uh, I'll, I'll give it a B minus because I'm really not sure. I mean, there's some, there's something in the water with, with Houston and, you know, I, I don't think that it's, it's all down to a cheating thing. I think that's much more on the position players, but, uh, you know, there's something something in the water there. And for basically some of the reasons that we just laid out, things could go sideways for him really quick. Now, he's unbelievable now, but $36 million to anybody, you're already on the tightrope, and people are just going to be waiting for you to fall. And there are so many people that are going to do pull the I told you so from day one type thing. But even if you give him the deal that Strasburg got, which is shorter and slightly less, you know, it's a million dollars less average value. I mean, that's a lot of money to give to a guy that only pitches every five days. And he is one shoulder injury away from that being the biggest albatross in all of sports. You never wish that on anybody, but it's still something where it's like, God, this guy is hardly pitching at all. You know, I mean, at least relievers, they, you know, they got to pitch every, you know, two and a every three days or something like that. So I don't know. I give it a B minus just because I think that it's a little long. Um, what, what about you, though? I know I said all that stuff uh, about the worries that can come with Garrett Cole. I'm going to give it an A- minus for a couple reasons. One, people have this idea that the Yankees just go out and buy championships, and that's because under a previous GM they did. Uh, that was their modus operandi. They didn't have a farm system to speak of, but under Cashman, uh, they've done a great job, a great, great job of, of building from within. They've got a lot of homegrown talent on that roster. They've made a lot of smart trades to get guys like Labor Torres. Uh, th- they've got a lot of really good pieces in that farm system as well, not even just the the well-known guys like Estevan Florial or Davey Garcia. They've got a lot of really good pitchers in that system and good position players too. And they've done it without really giving anybody a gigantic contract. That freed them up. Now, they were always going to have money anyway because it's New York, but that allows them to go out and spend this gigantic contract on Garrett Cole, the guy that they identified as the most important piece for them to get this winter, and they didn't have any sort of contract to really go into it and say, all right, what's going to hold us back? I mean, especially with what the Jacoby Ellsbury one was the biggest one, but they got out from under that one this year. And God knows they tried every single thing they could to move that deal because they even if they have a lot of money to spend, you're seeing, you are seeing a lot smarter spending. Talked last week about how Liberty might have given Anthopolis the, given the, him the green light to spend more money, but it's only good deals. You can't have these, these giant albatross type deals. And the Yankees, they can afford that a lot more than somebody like, like the Braves can. So even if it does, if does, coal deal does wind up going sour then they can absorb it a lot better than some other people. But they hit on some of their prospects. You know, they got Aaron Judge. They got Gary Sanchez, Luke Voigt, Gio Urshela. These guys. Luke Voigt was from the Cardinals, man. What's that? Luke Voigt was from the Cardinals. Uh, Whatever. Edit that out. I'm going to look like an idiot. I don't care. Um, 
<laughs> hey, welcome to the club. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I'm I'm glad that it's my turn. But I mean, they, they did hit on some of their prospects, and so they they are able to to give. You know, you talked about the Hap deal. That seemed like even a little bit of a reach at the time, but he was coming off some. Um, he had performed well for them after he got traded for from Toronto. So they gave him some money, and then it didn't didn't exactly work. So they have kind of been able to do it both ways, but they've been saving up on a deal. That's uh, that's kind of like this. They absorbed the Giancarlo Stanton deal, but they got him for minimal prospect cost. And well, there is a possibility that when you combine those two deals in say 2026 or whatever, then then they might wind up hating this current version of themselves. But we'll see. Dude, there's a real possibility that Garrett Cole and Giancarlo Stanton make more than the entire Baltimore Orioles roster. Yeah, that's true. And I also just saw the stat that the the uh, Yankees gave Garrett Cole more than the Pirates have given free agents total in the past 25 years. <laughs> That's so <laughs> insane. Yeah. Oh, man. But, and there, there were some other signings that we should talk about as well. So now that you've got all the pitchers off the board, basically all the big names, uh, the biggest name left is Hinjin Ryu and Madison Bumgarner. I think we can all expect a resolution on Madison Bumgarner here shortly. Uh, there's a lot of smoke that L.A. is the team to, to beat for Madison Bumgarner, and I hope it stays that way. Uh, I hope they give him $100 million. That way I don't have to see the Braves waste that kind of money on Madison Bumgarner. Um, Hinjin Ryu, you guys know that's that's my guy. That's who I think is an absolute perfect fit here. I would be... Uh, I still have a number for him. I don't I don't think I would go above $18 million a season for him. Uh, ideally, I'm looking at, at uh, 16 per season, maybe 17. Just because he's not the the elite K rate guy, he does have some injury history on the back burner. But with the way pitchers are getting paid this season, I'm not entirely sure what that's going to look like now. We had such an expectation for what free agency was going to be. You know, we had the, these idea for the contracts that everybody was going to wind up getting, and that got flipped on its ear really, really quick. We knew there were going to be some big ones, but we we didn't know it was going to be going to be like this. I mean, I remember seeing a, a rumor that the Cole deal was going to be seven for two forty five. And then he wound up beating that by two years and $80 million. You know, that was like the initial offer. So, I mean, if you're Ryu, get get paid. Hold out if if you have to. I mean, somebody somebody's going to get super desperate for these guys. Somebody's going to miss out. You know, like the Angels are in a position right now. Their hearts hurt. They had their, you know, they had their wallets set on this guy. And they didn't wind up getting him. So now they're going to wind up just <laughs> making all of these... Um, these rebound signings, I guess, you know, they're going to try and they're going to sign Bumgarner. They're going to sign Ryu. They're just going to wind up signing a whole bunch of guys that they're going to try and put a bandaid on a problem. It might be better served spreading the money around because if you go too top heavy, too top heavy on the team, you know, they've, they've already got a situation where they, they've got the best player in baseball and, and he's played in one playoff game in his entire career. You know, you, you have to spread your money out wisely. So between, Trout, Otani, and if they had landed Cole, I mean, it's like $90 million just for those three guys right there. They're still paying Albert Pujols. So yet another example of why you, why these big, long contracts can really be onerous if you're not careful. But anyway, back to the point at hand. Pitcher's going to get paid. Madison Bumgarner, let him go to L.A. Get, give him $100 million. Let him play next to Max Muncy. They can go get it out of the ocean together. Yeah, please, please let him go play in a ballpark that's not San Francisco for 80 or 91 games. Please, I want to see that. Uh, but speaking of L.A. and having their hearts set on somebody as well as their pocketbooks, uh, the Yankees shelling out that type of money for Garrett Cole and Washington retaining Steven Strasburg, which, by the way, we should give that one a grade in a little bit after I make this point here. Um, 
that does throw a big monkey wrench into the third base market because now a lot of these teams, uh, the Rangers, the Angels, uh, teams like the the Dodgers obviously are always in it, and teams like the Nationals and even teams like the Phillies, even though they made a couple moves that we'll talk about, that's going to put them in heavy contention for trying to get the best players left on the market, which coincidentally are third baseman, which coincidentally happens to be one of the biggest glaring holes for Atlanta this year. Now, when you consider that Anthony Rendon and Josh Donaldson are viewed as the kind of fallback options for these teams that were looking to make a big splash like a Strasburg or a Cole, this is going to be, this does not bode well for the Braves. This was not what the Braves wanted to see last night. This Rendon thing is really, really interesting. He's got some history here. We've, we've mentioned before how, how he signed he signed here. Everybody wants the Braves to bring back Donaldson because he he was such a great fit. But Rendon, I think, actually would be a really good fit too. And the Braves have alleged have allegedly checked in on him, which they should. They should be doing their due diligence even on on guys like Cole and Strasburg that they know they're priced out on, which could also be the the situation with Rendon. He's going to get paid too, but he seems to be a little bit less of a prima donna. I don't think that he's going to want to be in the spotlight. You know, I don't I don't know if I necessarily see him as the type, you know, apparently the Dodgers are out on him. They're going to explore other options. They're, they're going to turn all of their interests to Francisco Lindor or whatever they're going to do. So the Dodgers might wind up being out on Rendon. So that is one less team that is looking for a third baseman. I still can't decide whether after all of the spending that's happening, I'm very guarded about about the payroll, you know, and my feelings on on the Braves signing big deals. But I still, I swear, one of these days I'm going to wake up and it's going to say the Braves have signed Anthony Rendon for you know 240 million dollars or something like that, and then every single thing that I know about this team is just going out the window. I mean, I'm perfectly fine with spending money. You know my thoughts on that. I'm not going to complain about them for spending money as long as it's intelligently spent money. Now we're going to talk about the trade market here in just a second because. You, I, and it looks like Alex Anthopoulos all believe that that's the most likely scenario to fix the hole at third base. But just talking about Anthony Rendon for a second, he's one of these guys that he never seems to stand out as great as he is. He's he's a little bit understated. And us in the East, we've seen him a lot. Um, people who have played Washington see him a lot, but but we've got a, a better handle on him than I think most of the country really does. Uh, and, and what he does is it's always just super consistent. He's not the most powerful. He's not the best with the bad. He's not the absolute greatest glove, but he's really, really, really good at all of them. And I would say he's near elite with most of them. Uh, and he he's kind of a perfect fit for this Braves offense. Now, I know that's kind of your dream scenario is that if they're going to sign a lot of people's thought process is if they're going to sign Donaldson to four years and a hundred million and give him 25 million a season, why not just go ahead and give Rendon 28 or 30 a season and get him as a younger player who's better than Donaldson. And I, I see that argument. Uh, the thing about Rendon is going to be, he already doesn't like referrals. So that takes the nationals out of him completely. They already offered him and he turned them down because he doesn't want to do referrals. He's also from Texas, which Texas, if you're just going strictly by money, there's no state tax in Texas, so he would keep all of it. Um, and that's where he's from. Doesn't mean that the Braves can't get him, and it doesn't mean that the Braves aren't necessarily don't have an offer in hand. But I think it's very much like the Bryce Harper and Manny Machado things a year ago where they aren't expecting to be the ones to get him. Um, I, 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 I kind of agree with you. I can't see the Braves dropping any sort of deal that starts with a two. Uh, that doesn't seem like Alex's MO, and that certainly has not been the Braves' MO. Like we just said, 
You can spend money, but no bad deals. And when it starts with a two, pretty much every contract that has ever started with a two wound up being a bad deal by the time it was all over. Even, even Anthony Rendon could be. I mean, Miguel Cabrera was elite. Albert Pujols was elite. And now their teams cannot wait to get rid of them just because they're making so much money. I, th- I think it's going to be. The, I think it's going to be the years for Rendon more than anything because he's what thirty, uh, twenty eight or thirty. I think we talked about this last I think, week. I don't know why I can never remember his his age. No idea. I think I think he's twenty nine. And if so, if you're getting above seven years, you're you're definitely getting into the decline. Now there's some other guys out there that, quite honestly, I think are better than Rendon as far as down the line goes anyway. And we probably should talk about those because Alex has said he's 29, by the way. You were correct. Good job, Doc. Oh, uh, Alex has said that, uh, and, and it's been pretty much an in- indicated, if you're just kind of looking at the way this is going, that third base would be most likely filled in free a- in, uh, trades as opposed to free agency. Now, you guys know I'm a Chris Bryant guy. We're going to go on a rant about Chris Bryant here in probably about five or ten minutes that uh, you're not going to want to miss. But filling through trades there's another name that had just came out today on wednesday uh looks like the colorado rockies are ready to burn it all down and have made and are at least listening on nolan arenado trade talks and for nearly everybody associated in any sort of way with baseball uh who watches who writes who who does whatever it's always come down to two third basemen in baseball as far as who has the crown. Now, Matt Chapman's trying to steal that crown away, but he still has a way to go offensively before he can take that crown. But it's Nolan Arenado and it's Anthony Rendon, and it's kind of two sides of the coin. Now, Nolan Arenado got his extension last year. What was it? Eight years and 264, something like that, um, making $35 million a year. So that is an insanely large amount of money. And a lot of people get caught up in Nolan's numbers outside of Coors. That doesn't worry me as much. Doc, you and I talk about this all the time. And I think when you and I had Mike Petriello on, it kind of really made us think about the Coors effect, not in boosting their stats at Coors, but also how it would affect them going away from Coors and the pitches that they would see. Um, Nolan Arenado, how, how interested are you really in acquiring him? From a defensive perspective, you would be hard-pressed to find anybody better. Like you said, Chapman's trying to take the crown, but it's been Arenado's for years. I mean, he's a he's a freak over there. And he keeps getting better, by the way, it should be mentioned. Yeah, and we all know that he's great, but I, I was, after news came out that they were going to listen on him, which they should. They should be listening to everybody. They are bound for fourth and fifth place, even with their good guys. So pull up fan graphs and start looking at things. And I didn't realize that he had gotten progressively better literally every single year in pretty much every single category. Now, some of the cores effect is real. You know, he does get to play 81 games in thin air, but he's also playing road games in San Francisco. He's playing them in San Diego, LA, Arizona. He, some of that is being offset. So it's not all smoke and mirrors there. Defense will play anywhere. Yes. Eventually it's going to decline. So, this is a six war player. He's young, great team guy, just as genuine as they get when they had the press conference for his extension. He cried tears of joy. Like, how can you not love a guy like this? Here's where it gets tricky. Seven years, $234 million, which is not all that different from what Rendon's going to get. But in order to get him, you also have to give up prospects on top of that. And we've talked about Bryant, his 
grievance, it's still being settled. You can't really put a value on him because you don't know if you're getting him for one year or two. Same thing with Arenado. He's got the opt-out after 2021. So are you getting him for two years? Are you getting him for seven years? Is he gonna is he gonna wind up leaving? Is he gonna go in total decline? What's what's gonna happen here? There's a lot up in the air there. Now, if they wanted to expand the deal to include, I don't know, Trevor Story and, and basically raid the Braves farm system and have whatever they want. At that point, they can have whatever they want. And I believe that you were talking earlier today about how they can have whatever they want. Yeah, yeah so for those of you that have followed along on Twitter, uh, some of you who may have been freaked out by one of the things I offered today was uh, uh, Nolan Arnauto and Trevor Story. And I may have said... Give them Christian Pache, Ian Anderson, Austin Riley, Sean Newcomb. Uh, <laughs> Keep going. There was uh, more. <laughs> uh, I know who else. Who else did I have on there? Kyle Wright and Dansby uh, Swanson. Kyle Wright and Dansby Swanson. Six prospects <laughs> in total. Three of them top five prospects. Another two of them former top five prospects. And uh, oh my god, <laughs> I wasn't. Full disclosure, I wasn't being serious with that offer. Um, now, as far as would it be worth it, if you're t- if money's not an object, and by the way, there's no salary cap in baseball, so this is another point of contention I have with a lot of people talking about, well, this guy is cheaper, so that makes him more valuable. That You can't use that to for validity of a trade in baseball because there is no salary cap. It's literally just how much is the owner willing to pay. So taking salary out of it, um, if you're just talking about Arenado and Story, chances are those two are going to put up more war than the people you're dealing away. Chances are, because I don't know where we got crazy with this idea that elite prospects are all you can ride in five war and that that's it. Like I, I don't know when we started doing that, but uh, it's a little bit insane. We'll talk about that in a little bit with my favorite trade piece. But the Rockies really have no reason and a ton of reasons not to trade story and Arenado in the same deal. Arenado is not like, it's not like Melvin Upton where he's bad and his money's bad. So you have to attach somebody great just to move the money. I mean, it's Nolan Arenado and there was, I can't remember who said this, but if you peruse along the Twitter timeline, you'll see uh, there, there was some, uh, some scuttlebutt that you could talk about the, the opt-out with Nolan Arenado that you could take it away basically and turn it into another one-year uh, extension basically on the end of his current deal in order for him to waive his no-trade clause. So theoretically, you could you could do that without really having a problem, without having to worry about the opt-out. Uh, but for a lot of these teams, I almost think you'd want to keep that opt-out in because it would drastically take down your prospect cost. Well, of course. And, and like we were, uh, how do you... Which, by the way, by the way, let me say this. I do not think the Rockies are going to trade Nolan Arenado, and if they do, I do not think it will be to the Atlanta Braves. I think it would be to the Los Angeles Dodgers. When you're taking on some type of deal like this, you have to look at the fact that Freddie is going to wind up getting an extension at some time, and if something goes haywire, and even if Arenado... Even let's just entertain this scenario where he does wind up coming here and the Braves owe him that much money and he's still got the opt-out in the contract and then he gets hurt and he doesn't take the opt-out and then they, they wind up having to give him all this money and that costs him the opportunity to re-up Freddie. Now, Freddie is not a superstar. Freddie is not elite, but he is our guy. 
And when you have somebody that's that good and that important to the franchise, you have to put that above even making a splashy deal like this. So I don't know if that's going to wind up costing, you know, the loyalty to Freddie is going to wind up costing the Braves winning a World Series because they, they've got to set aside money for him for the future or whatever. But that's that's something to entertain in all these. You know, we were just another note for your fake trades, kids. <laughs> It's a lot of notes that we're going to talk about for these fake sure. trades people and, sure. and how uh, a lot of these are, are, are patently ridiculous uh, and, and definitely need to be, uh, I don't want to say shamed because most of them are, most of them are, are put out there by good people, um, but are absolutely ridiculous. Back to the Arenado thing, I wanted to kind of segue into the Arenado versus Rendon discussion because it's always been, it's going to follow them around forever. They're basically the same year. Uh, they're both. I've seen Arenado's 28, Rendon is 29, so they're both right around the same age. Uh, they'll have similar contracts. I don't think Rendon is going to get 35 per, but with this season, who can honestly tell? But I know a lot of people that would rather have Rendon over Arenado, all things being equal. So, Doc, where do you fall on that? I mean, all things being equal, probably Rendon. Probably so. You sacrifice let me, a little. Let me defense. phrase it this way. Let me phrase it this way. Who do you think would be a better bet to to be more positive at the end of the contract? Who would be a better bet to be better at the end of their deals? Well, I was just, I was saying Rendon, and as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, wait, no. But I, I think, honestly, I think it's a push. And, and I know that that is just the biggest cop-out. But you you really can make a case for either. I think Rendon's bat will age better. I think Arenado's defense will age better. Uh, I think by the end of both of their deals, there will be the DH. So even if the defense does wind up um, sagging for... Arenado has got the lead on the defense, so it'll probably wind up... Uh, holding out for a little bit longer. Rendon, you could wind up seeing being a DH eventually. But I still, I the more I think about it, I just, I can't solidly say one way or the other. The good news is, this is found, this hypothetical is founded on all things being equal. All things are not equal. And I still, I still won't think that Colorado is going to wind up trading Arenado. But then again, I don't think the Braves are going to sign Rendon either. So can I have Josh Donaldson in this scenario at all? I mean, so let's first off. I should point out Arenado is making thirty-two and a half million dollars per year, not thirty-five. Um, That's just on average, I, though. There's like a five-year span where he's making thirty-five yeah, million. Where he is making, years. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm not going to let you have Josh Donaldson in that because he's not. He should not be in the conversation with Rendon and Arenado because as much as we love Josh Donaldson, he's not as good as those two, uh, and he certainly won't be as good as those two in seven years. Um, but. I think our, and I think I would put it a couple ways. One, Arenado's numbers outside of Coors, I told you guys earlier, I don't buy into that. Uh, I don't buy into it that it's necessarily means he's always going to be horrible away from Coors. It, they don't see curveballs when they play in Coors Field because there's not enough uh, pressure from the air to actually make the ball drop vertically very well. So they see a lot more sliders. They see a lot more fastballs. They don't see a lot of change-ups. They don't see a lot of curveballs. So when they go outside to these other ballparks which you and i have already discussed that the nl west by the way not very hitter friendly uh they see a ton of uptick in how many curveballs and change-ups they see which if you're not seeing them consistently will mess with you and it's not like arnaldo's numbers are bad outside of Coors field i mean just this year 
to hear to hear people talk about it, you think that he couldn't hit at all. Uh, away from Coors Field this year, he hit 20 homers, drove in 48. I mean, it's not the 70 RBI that he had in Coors, but it's only one less home run than he had at Coors. And if you're talking about you know his his more advanced line, for those of you that are more into that, you're talking about a guy that away from Coors still had an 866 OPS. Like I don't know why we're thinking that's something to sneeze at. Had a 243 ISO all off a 269 BABIP, which is incredibly low for him. I mean, that's good for a 355 WAB and 118 weighted runs created plus. Now, is that $32.5 million good? Probably not. But I think it would be foolish to assume that his numbers would always be right at that 118 WRC plus while he gets used to different ballparks and more hitter-friendly confines, quite frankly. There's always going to be a lot more scrutiny on the Coors guys. You've seen it with Larry Walker now with the with the Hall of Fame voting. You saw it for Todd Helton. It's been going on for years. I'm glad Walker seems to finally being a, uh, he's finally getting a little bit of momentum for his case for getting into the Hall. But it's going to be tricky. And and as soon as he winds up going anywhere else, especially if he leaves the the NL West and and say his numbers wind up going down, if if he leaves, then so starts the narrative of inevitable decline and another big, giant, onerous contract. Uh, like, like we just said, most contracts that start with a two wind up wind up pretty bad in the end. But I mean, some of that's just a symptom of where we are in society now. And as soon as things start going sideways, people love to just jump on and pile on, much like Yankees fans will do to Garrett Cole in about seven years. So his first bad start. Well, if if it takes, if it, um, God, if he has a bad April. He's gonna get crucified. That poor, that poor rich man. You know, I don't. I can't tell if I feel bad for him or not. Uh, I mean, it's hard to feel bad for somebody that's gonna make forty one hundred dollars a day. What is it? Forty one hundred dollars a minute? Something like that? Something crazy? Yeah, I think that he's gonna make uh, sixty eight dollars and forty nine cents uh, per hour uh, for the next nine years. That includes while he's sleeping. What that? That's just insane. Yeah. Um, but. I mean, I know I promised the rant here, and, and we're going to do it here in just a second, but I, I, it's such a, a hard question for me because we should talk about Donaldson, and we will. You know what, you know what we're going to do, Doc? We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to discuss the position player side of things because I, this is going to sound really rambly if we just keep this going because we really haven't even touched on the rest of the trade chips. Okay. No, that sounds good. That sounds great. Let's, uh, let's take a little break. I, I'm I'm calling a TPS audible. I'm calling host privileges here. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to discuss my rant of why your proposed trade packages suck. Uh, and we're going to take a harder look at what's left at the trade deadline and what Atlanta could possibly do before the season opens. Stick right there. We'll be back here in just a second on the Platinum Sombrero. <laughs> Welcome back to the Platinum Sabro, ladies and gentlemen. Doc Herbert here. Just wanted to take a second to talk to you about Blue Chew. Picture this. You're on a date with your lady. Things are going great. You get back to her place. You start to peel off your undergarments, respectfully, of course, and only when prompted to do so. And then just when things are about to get unspeakable, your libido takes a hike and leaves you to explain to a mostly nude woman why you, all of a sudden, can't get it up. Spare yourself the mental anguish of this exact scenario by stocking up on Blue Chew, the fastest growing ED tab on the market. 
If you're a regular TPS listener, you've heard me talk about this plenty of times, so you know the drill. You eat a blue chew, you literally chew it like it's a piece of gum, you wait half the time that you'd wait if you took an ED pill that just dissolves instead, and then you get down to business. Blue Chew knows your time is important, and you're just itching to do the horizontal mambo, the bone dance, what have you, so they can help you cut that time in half. Use our promo code ARMCHAIR for a free sample. Your only financial obligation will be the $5 to cover shipping. The sooner it gets there, the sooner you can go from David to Goliath, so order today. No longer will your date nights be full of remarkable shame and self-loathing. It's Blue Chew to the rescue. So... Right before the break, Dylan, you made reference to some type of rant you needed to go on. Yeah, and, and this is just going to be something to, uh, you know, you, you, you can't just hold in feelings all the time. That's that's how men die and how their blood pressure goes to like 300. I don't know what a real blood pressure is, but I do have some things I have to get off my chest, and it has to do with a lot of you, and I'm saying you pejoratively, not anyone in particular, uh, but a lot of you crazy folks that seem to forget uh, that's that seem to forget that Chris Bryant is a former MVP and is only 27 years old. Um, I don't know why it is that I have to say this with stats literally five seconds away, um, but apparently I do. Um, to anybody who is saying, except for Andy, because I know why Andy is saying it, even if I disagree, um, but to anyone saying that they would not trade Austin Riley straight up for Chris Bryant, you are ridiculous, and I'm going to try to be as nice as possible and not tell you what I'm really thinking inside my head, but you can figure out what I'm thinking inside my head. Um, that is so patently absurd that you would not trade a projected 1.6 F4 player by steamer, uh, one point, or by depth charts, 1.5, I believe, by uh, steamer uh, or zips um, for Chris Bryant, who in a season directly after having his shoulder surgery, put up 4.8 F war, which by the way, we're all talking about Josh Donaldson, how good Josh Donaldson is doc. Do you happen to know how much F war Josh Donaldson put up last year? Was it 4.8? It was 4.9. Oh, I was wrong. Huh? Which seems insane, which if you're willing to shell out crazy amounts of money for a 33 year old, who's about to be 34, uh, and pay him through his age 38 season because he put up 4.9 F4. It would then make sense that if you could get Chris Bryant, who is going to be cheaper than Josh Donaldson for at least this one season, maybe the next two, but at least for this season in 2020, and all you'd have to give up is a third base prospect that, by the way, carried a strikeout rate of, oh, what do you think, about 49% like his last month? I think it went on for a couple of months, actually. <laughs> I mean, it, it, this just seems insane to me. This is a case of we got really into our prospects when the rebuild started, and for whatever reason, Brave Saints have latched onto their guys and have this weird notion that you can just say that Austin Riley should be as good as Chris Bryant. The, do, do you people not understand how insane it is to just assume that a prospect will be a six-war player easily? Like, do you understand that Chris Bryant has more seasons of above six war than below? He's 27. No, I, I get it, man. And and I I am partially guilty of, of buying a lot into the prospects. And the Braves, for for some of the top-rated guys, your Acunas and all these, and even to a lesser degree, guys like Dansby and Newcomb, I mean, they they have had good success uh, with with these guys. Some some you see it more in flashes than you see it consistently. But, you know, and you speak... Speaking of which, Riley, perfect example. You saw the flashes of what he can do. I'm not comfortable really projecting anybody as being a six-war player. You know what I mean? Like, even last year, think about how good Acuna was last year. He has not put up a six-war season. Right. Like, 
is it possible that Austin Riley could wind up putting up a six war season next year? Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess, sure, it, it's in the realm of possibility, but a lot would have to change to do that. There's nothing saying that Bryant is necessarily going to do that either, but I feel much more comfortable voting on the guy who's got got the track record. So, just yet another note for your fake trades. I hope somebody is making a note. Please, <laughs> to draft because- your fake trades. I mean, it, it's and by the way, for the Cubs side of this thing, um, if there's any Cubs fans who are listening into this, I'm sorry to tell you, two years of Chris Bryant is not going to get Max Freed. Not because Bryant is not worth Max Freed, because talent-wise he is, but because that would actually be that would not work well for the Braves because they already have a hole where they're relying on what on some sort of rookie fifth starter or second year guy, somebody who didn't prove themselves a year ago or the season before in the case of Newcomb, Tukey, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, guys that have a ton of questions around them right now. Uh, that's not very stable. There's no possible way that in a season where the Braves are expecting to be a world series challenger or at least make a deep run that they're going to have two, they're going to create two holes in their starting rotation. That's not going to happen. But the good news for you Cubs fans is the Braves have 20,000 pitchers that are right at the same realm. The Cubs have basically no farm system and have to spend and have to clear some money. Everybody, everybody in their brother knows Chris Bryant's not re-signing with Chicago when his two years is up. He's going to lose his grievance. He's going to stay pissed off at Chicago. He's not re-signing there. It would not take a gigantic package to get Chris Bryant. So all these people who are saying, who are asking me, would you be willing to give up Pache, Anderson, and Austin Riley for him? No. And it's not going to cost that. <laughs> it's the, that's not a realistic package. It, 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 it's hard to explain. It, I don't know why it's so hard to explain this. It really shouldn't be. You're trading for years of control, and you're trading for how good he is. Talent-wise, Chris Bryant is an elite third baseman. Whether you want to believe it or not, he is an elite player in this league when he's healthy. You can look at it, and all the stats back it up. He's very versatile, and that he's also a, a good left fielder as well as a good third baseman. So if you had a manager who was willing to use him in versatile situations with Chris Bryant, you could do so. He is 27 years old, which means he is just now entering his physical prime. You still have on the hook for probably around 18 and a half to 20 this season through arbitration. Uh, and then his final year of arbitration, probably going to be around 25, 26, which is basically what you're paying Donaldson. Basically with Chris Bryant, you're paying a younger Josh Donaldson. Yes. Donaldson is better defensively, but Chris Bryant, by the way, he's better offensively that it, point blank period. If you're talking about what I think a package would look like for that, it's not, all that insane. It's going to take Austin Riley, sure, but Austin Riley, something like Kyle Wright or Sean Newcomb, either one of those two, Shane Green, and if if they're really insistent, you can throw in uh, a pitcher who's, let's say, anywhere from your 15th to 20th, not anybody else in the top 10, and it shouldn't take four prospects. Three should do it. This is really interesting because in a vacuum, when you don't have to take into account roster construction, I probably would be willing to entertain the idea of Max Reed for Chris Bryant, even with, with the years currently as architected. It would be really close to straight up. But it's to the point you make. If you're trying to be a World Series contender, you know, and you just sign Cole Hamels, you know, and there's still a lot of questions in this rotation, which Mike fulton will it be? How big of a step is Soroka going to take? Or is he going to just basically wind up being 2019 Mike Soroka, which is fine. He could just be that for the rest of his career as long as he doesn't get worse. But there's still so many questions, and Freed's development is one of those too. So yeah, you've got a hole at third base. 
but yeah, you're basically robbing Peter to pay Paul at that point if you're plucking Max out of the rotation and just to fill the hole at third base. Earlier today, Dave O'Brien said it should be, he spoke to someone close to the Cubs, which could just be somebody that lives near the stadium. I don't know who it was. This is He kept it pretty vague, but he said it would be two pitching prospects and a bat. Didn't specify whether this is uh, Pache Waters, Trey Harris, or like Austin Riley, Andrew Ciarte, somebody who's uh, who's actually on the big league roster. Um, what exactly it's going to cost, I have no idea. And the way that this front office, you know, it's honestly, it's silly to speculate for something like that because we don't know. Everything that we see is just on paper. You know what I mean? Or it's not even on paper. It's just screens. It's not even real paper anymore. So... It's it's difficult to speculate what it's about, and and I'm just as guilty as anybody. Like you look at my Twitter feed, and every day it's I'm hopping from one player to the next to the next to the next, just so I can say, oh, I was I was totally okay with this deal before it happened, and you know, and and retroactively wind up getting um, kudos for that or whatever. But I mean, as far as what it is going to take, we don't we don't know what these guys are going to cost. We thought that Cole was going to be cheaper. We thought that Wheeler was going to be cheaper and Strasburg, all these guys. So this inflates everything. Trades are going to wind up being inflated. It's going to wind up being, it's kind of a free-for-all. It's weird. We're not used to this anymore. We let our guard down. And now the next thing you know, this is what it winds up turning into. So let me, let me say it this way then. If it does get too out of control and they start wanting you to deal multiple top fives or include a top five in a deal for Bryant, fine. That can be the reason that you back off because you can say that's not worth five years. But not from saying that you wouldn't give up Austin Riley straight up for Chris Bryant because you think Riley will be just as good as Bryant or provide the same amount of value. This is why I hate surplus value with an absolute passion. I think it's the dumbest crock of bleep out there when you're talking about fake trade surplus value is something that prospect guys like like you and like me because we both love our prospects but the surplus value is something that prospect guys created in order to try to overvalue prospects and that's really all it is there is no place in any time frame or whatever that in a straight up could i have chris bryant health not a factor could i have chris bryant today or could i have austin riley today that you're going to pick austin riley And if you're somebody that just says he's automatically like the surplus value thing drives me nuts because you're just assuming that Austin Riley is going to reach his peak and he's going to be worth whatever surplus value, yada, 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 that he would generate down the line. It drives me absolutely insane. There is nothing more annoying to me than hearing surplus value be brought up. I would rather talk about batting averages and pitcher wins than surplus value. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, do you feel a little better now that you got that off your chest? I mean, I mean a little bit. My blood pressure is probably a little bit high. But well. <laughs> what, one more attack. You know what? One more attack and I'll be done. Surplus value means nothing. I mean, that, that's basically it. There's, there's no salary cap in baseball. Surplus value literally means nothing to me. And that's okay, man. That's, gonna ha- that's just going to have to be okay. I don't, I, I don't think that they're going to just take it away. It's not a real thing anyway. I know. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I hate it. I <laughs> I hate surplus value. I'll rally against it. Anyway, anyway, moving on. It's not just Chris Bryant, by the way. There are other pieces out there. Uh, we should mention Didi Gregorius going to the Phillies on a one-year $14 million deal. I like that deal for the Phillies a lot. Didi's a guy who's a very talented player, really good defensively. It's going to move Gene Segura to second base. It's going to really uplift their defense. They still have to figure out what they're going to do at third base. 
but that's a really good addition that starts to get them a pretty scary lineup especially if they add a josh donaldson or an anthony rendon god forbid you're talking about a lineup that's going to have mccutcheon bryce harper uh donaldson or rendon jt real muto Didi Gregorius and Gene Segura in it. and Reese Hoskins, by the way, who everybody just forgets that that's a very, very good lineup. And with Scott Kingery, who we haven't mentioned yet. Yeah, they, they cut loose Cesar Hernandez. They cut loose Michael Franco. I mean, Franco hasn't really generated any positive value in the past couple of years, but um, I mean, the, the Hernandez thing was kind of, kind of interesting, but yeah, getting McCutcheon back and uh, adding Didi and the, Philly could be dangerous, man. They could be really, really dangerous. The NL East next year is shaping up to just be a dogfight again. There's that word again. It, it's it's crazy, but I think we can agree that those are while they're good moves and moves that people that are that like to be value based think are good moves. Aside from Zach Wheeler, who you and I talked about last week, we're not entirely sure how we feel about that. Though, I mean, given the deals that. Strasburg and Cole got it's it doesn't seem as crazy to a lot of people anymore still seems crazy to me but you know whatever um, it, it more seems crazy because you gave him the same amount as Cliff Lee um, but there is a couple other targets and I think a lot of people have one preference or the other on these two and one of those is Nicholas Castellanos a lot of people uh, really really like Nick Castellanos bat I think the problem with Castellanos, one, his defense is absolutely atrocious. And while he was getting better with Chicago, it's still horrendous. Uh, and the bat, while it is very, very intriguing, he hits the ball super hard, hits a ton of doubles, all that stuff. He still has never put up a three-war season. And you're talking about with the way that Mustakis got paid – Donaldson's probably going to get a little bit more. Rendon will get a little bit more than Donaldson. Castellanos is probably going to get right under Donaldson. Now, he's a left fielder, so it's going to be a little bit different. But if you're looking for offensive tier, because that's what I'm talking about when I'm including all these guys, um, Castellanos is probably looking at something around 20 to $22 million a season. I don't know how I feel about Castellanos for that price tag, knowing that there's not a big difference between him and Mike Moustakis. At least war-wise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cassiano's defense, it's been so precarious from him. Like, he went from from Giant Park in Detroit to and being a third baseman who converted to an outfielder in a Giant Park. That's just a disaster. You know, it's, it's like America's Funniest Home Videos out there. And then he goes to Chicago, which is a considerably smaller park, but the wind is so unpredictable. So even if he is improving, like in the more reps that he gets away from third base and being in the outfield, he is going to get marginally better. Uh, he'll he's never going to be a plus defender or any or anything even approaching that, but he will get better. And and the bat is real. When you start looking at WAR, then the defense really really does drag that down for him. So the bat the bat is legit. Almost uh, was it eighty eight extra base hits that he had last year? You know fifty. 58 doubles or something like that. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. That That's that's the type of bat that you inject in this lineup. So if that By the way, up, he does have, I should take it back, he had exactly a three-war season in 2018. Okay, well, good for him. You know, if, if you wind up dropping this bat into the Braves lineup, that would certainly solve one of the problems. And if you've got Acuna and you've got Enciarte in the outfield as well, then maybe you can take a little bit of the burden off of there. Uh, because Ender, who is not without his faults, uh, he's still 
can cover a decent amount of ground. His his legs are, are going on him just a tad as, as he gets a little bit older. But uh, but he's still a really, really good defender. He could help out shade him to towards left center a little bit and let Acuna roam a little bit bigger territory. Uh, he's got center field in his past, as you know from watching last year, so he can cover a little more ground than your regular right fielder. Plus, he knows how to play the bricks and right. You can see a scenario where that would work, plus he doesn't have the pick attached to him. So let's say that Donaldson were to sign somewhere else and the Braves signed Castellanos, then they actually break even on, on the draft pick that they gave up for Will Smith. Could be worth looking into, but again, it comes down to price. I wouldn't be surprised to see him get four years, $80 million, five and 95, somewhere around there, which is weird. I would not have necessarily guessed that coming into... Uh, coming into this offseason, but it, any more, who knows? And I mean, there's some other names out there that Brave fans are going to dream on. Obviously, Francisco Lindor being talked about. Uh, looks like the Dodgers are actually trying to get him. If they do, it's going to cost them Dustin May and Gavin Lux to start with. Um, but no matter what the Dodgers do, whether they add Lindor, whether they add another third baseman, if they end up adding Donaldson or Rendon or Arenado, um, it's going to open up something for them or, or even if they just get Lindor, it's going to open somebody up off of their roster, whether that be uh, Justin Turner, who has been a very good third baseman for a long time. Uh, well, since he came to LA essentially, but really revitalized his career as an outstanding hitter or Corey Seager, who you and I both think the world of, he's had some problems with health. Uh, I would not be shocked if they were to go that route. If Corey Seager became a name, that would very much interest Alex Anthopoulos. I know he's a left-handed bat, but he's a very, very good shortstop in the common day mold. You can move him to third base if you think it's going to make him healthier, um, but he's a far better defensive shortstop than Dansby Swanson. Um, th- there's a lot of ways they could go with that. I don't think either. I don't think those moves are as likely as this last one, but this is one that I know I got heated <laughs> talking about Chris Bryant, um, but this final person to talk about and this we're going to start this out for for one simple reason marcelo zuna there's been a rumor started or was making the rounds on twitter um that the braves were linked to ozuna and have been talking uh contract offers back and forth yada 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 a lot of people who are uh a lot of people freaking out over it first off how much of that do you actually believe because i know with alex Personally, I think that it's I think it's no different than the Chicago White Sox rumor. I think it's Ozuna's camp putting it out there. Um, but I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you think. Like we mentioned about Rendon and Cole, I mean, the Braves should be doing their due diligence on every single free agent. Whether we find out that there's a link to them or not is inconsequential. They should be checking in on, on everybody just to see. And... They've been pretty transparent about the want to add a big bat, whether it's at third base or it could possibly come through the outfield. So when you look at Castellanos, Ozuna, and all of the third base targets that we've mentioned, whether it's free agent or, or through trade, they definitely need to be checking on these guys. And I think they also know that if they were to sign an outfielder like a Marcelo Ozuna, then they've got a surplus in AAA if they wanted to go and get a top-line pitcher, if they still want to upgrade at third base, you could trade a Drew Waters. You could trade a Christian Pache if you if you feel like you're going to wind up clogging up one of the holes where one of those guys would wind up going. So as far as the Braves checking in on him, yeah, oh, I absolutely believe it. As far as what their level of interest is, I'm not sure. But I think I really, really like the idea of him being here. He seems like... He seems like he gets a bad rap because sometimes he'll make some kind of boneheaded plays here or there. But I mean... 
you watch an entire baseball season, you'll see all of your favorite players wind up doing something dumb at least three or four times. You know, even the even the best players make make some pretty boneheaded mistakes sometimes. So, I think I like it. I think I would be willing to go four on uh, four years on Ozuna for sure because he's only twenty nine. And, you know, there's some worry there, especially with the arm coming back from the shoulder surgery. A lot of times arms can either take a long time to come back if they come back at all. But one thing that you can't deny with Ozuna is his elite heart, like his his elite batted ball profile. Now, Bush Stadium hasn't been kind to him. The past two years have not been nearly as good as that 2017 breakout we saw when he was a member of the Marlins. But if you look at the difference uh, if you, if you look deeper than than just surface numbers and his WRC plus even there wasn't a hitter in baseball who had a higher difference between his WABA, his weighted on base average and his ex WABA, his expected weighted on base average. What that means is not only was he the unluckiest hitter in major league baseball in 2018, he was also the unluckiest in 2019. Now you can say that that might have something to do with his profile. He did pull a lot more of his ground balls last year, which any ground balls period are going to be less uh, are going to be less hits. But when you pull them, it gives you less time. He's not particularly speedy anymore. But still, you're looking at, at somebody who has absolutely elite hard contact rates. We saw firsthand in the playoffs what happens. And a lot of a lot of that from last year is going to get overshadowed because people aren't going to look at the pre and post injury. Don't forget he fractured two fingers on his hand diving back into a base. Before that, he was absolutely ripping the cover off the ball. Then when he came back, obviously, it kind of took him a little bit. It's no different than Dansby with the wrist. You got to try to affect the same amount of contact with some fingers that, by the way, still don't feel real good. And your handle on the bat is very important to hitting the ball, as it turns out. Um, I, I agree. I would be fine with four years on Marcelo Zuna. I don't know where this notion that he's like Matt Kemp in the field came from. I know that outs above average doesn't view him very kindly, but l- baseball reference, which is B war and Fangraphs, both have him as if not a positive defender, at least a non negative. They all agree that he has above average range. Fangraphs has him at like an 8.6 UZR over 150, which is outstanding for a left fielder. I would be fine with Ozuna. I'm not over here looking to, to say that you have to be perfect at everything in order to come to the Braves, because I think having somebody in the cleanup hole that is not named Nick Markakis or Travis Darno is more important than having a gold glove left fielder. You're looking at a guy who hit 29 home runs in 130 games last year, set a career high in walk rate, career high in stolen bases. He still wound up, wound up with an OPS over 800, and he did that with a BABIP that was 259. His career average is 315. So when you start looking into projections for next year that are kind of predicting a, a return to the mean for the, for the BABIP, which will run in tandem with his batted ball profile, Steamer is projecting him for a season of 276 batting average, 344 OBP, 500 slugging percentage, with 33 home runs uh, being worth three war next year. That is a really, really valuable player. And the notion that he's Matt Kemp, it come there. I made reference to the bonehead plays. He he has had some highlight reel bonehead plays, in particular the one where he climbed the wall to try and make a diving catch, and the ball landed about 10, 15 feet behind him. It's hilarious. It's just the best thing to watch, as long as he's, as long as he's not on your team. But even with moments like that, he still wound up grading out as a positive defender. He was two def- uh, defensive runs safe 
<clears throat> excuse me, two defensive runs saved last year. And any Braves fan who has watched Nick Markakis over the past couple of years, you have seen the gradual decline in his defense. DRS is a counting stat, so the more you play, the more it winds up getting impacted. And Markakis was a negative defender last year. And once again, you don't have to be you don't have to be elite. You just have to be better than the guy that came before you. And I think because of Andrew's defense, if they wind up acquiring another outfielder, whether it's Ozuna, Castellanos, whoever, he's going to wind up taking Marquecas's place more so than Ender's because Ender gives you more value on defense. Not to mention, as you talked about last week, the bench is very right-handed heavy. So having somebody like Marquecas, who would still wind up getting some starts in this scenario, I see him being more so used as a left-handed bench option in the outfield, which the Braves currently don't have. So... I like I like that aspect of it too. And for anybody who's who's a huge Nick Markakis fan, I apologize. I do not mean to hate on your guy. I just think they can do better. A lot better. <laughs> I would hope that that you could do better than that than a point four war player a season ago. Uh the Marcelo Zuna thing is it is something to to really think about. I think that the, he would look really good here. I think this is one of those cases where I do think the agent is floating the rumors because we do know that Alex Anthopoulos does not let anybody know what he's planning. But it really wouldn't shock me for Alex to actually let one of these rumors leak every once in a while just so people like you and me who, who sit here and go anything he says think the opposite. If he were to do one move where the rumors were out there that it would go through, it would throw everything into even more flux because you'd never know what to believe with Alex Anthopoulos. Uh, but a guy like Marcelo Zuna would fit the mold very, very well, and it wouldn't preclude you from getting a third baseman through trade. The real question would be, would you prefer to go with Marcelo Zuna? Let me let me throw this. You guys remember last week when I talked about Eduardo Escobar and Hunter Dozier. So, Doc, I'm going to ask you, would you rather sign Marcelo Zuna and trade for Eduardo Escobar, knowing that you could hit Escobar fifth uh, and play him at third base, who is a plus defender at third base, and he's not expensive at all? Or would you rather sign Josh Donaldson and have it a role with uh, Marquecas and Duvall in the outfield? I would go Zuna and Escobar, and I don't really know how close it is. Spread your money out, man. They're, you're... We just talked about it with the Angels. You have a team that's too top-heavy. It relies too much on a couple guys. It can only get you so far. Give me six or seven really good players instead of two great players. The now, odds. if I say, how about this? If I say Ozuna and Escobar or shell out the big deal for Rendon, where are you leaning? I still think Ozuna and Escobar. Just the odds are better on a day-to-day basis that you're going to wind up getting getting some some production from one of your guys instead of just relying on like your being too top heavy. I'm very wary of that. I'm very wary of well, especially being top when you heavy. Talk well, about which the, you when you talk about the lineup. Um I think I'm with you. I think I would go Ozuna and Escobar because it'll lengthen your lineup number 1. Uh and I think that that's very important. I think that Rendon or Donaldson or Arenado on their own would is probably better offensively than the sum of those two guys. Maybe maybe it's a wash, but at least as good as the, as those two combined. But you're talking about at that point, you've got Marcakis or Duvall or Darno hitting fifth. And I don't feel good about either of them. Darno, it's flip of a coin whether he's actually going to make it 100 games into a season. We've seen what can happen with Duvall if things don't start well. He can spiral. Uh, we, we've seen enough from Riley to know that it could go either way with him. Uh, with Marcakis, we know we know what he is and what he's not. And he's not a power threat. And if you're in the fifth hole in the lineup, you got to be able to drive in runs. You have to be able to slug. And he can't. So you tell me that I can upgrade two spots on the field and do it 
cheaper money wise and throw a little bit of prospect cost out there. I mean, I'm totally on board with that. I mean, I'd, I'd take it a step further if I could go and trade for or sign Ozuna to let's say four and seventy four or four and eighty. I think that's about as high as I would go. I don't want to go twenty million a year on Marcelo Ozuna, um, but in this free agent climate, I think that that might be close to what it takes. If you could go four and Oh, uh, let's see what what's seventeen and four together. I think that would be ideal. Is seventeen per? Um, I don't think it's going to be four and sixty eight, which is what Mike Mustakas got. But if you're talking about let's say four and seventy two, or four and seventy six, I mean that would be I'd be more than fine with that. I think that at least offensively, you'll you'll get enough value out of there to where that's worth it. Uh, and then you add in a trade of Escobar, who you said last week you didn't think he fit a cleanup profile, but sure as heck would fit a number five profile and give you plus defense at third base. Then you could go out and, and get a guy like Hinjin Ryu, or say you want to get Robbie Ray in addition to Eduardo Escobar. I'd rather get Ryu, but you still have enough flexibility there to go off and address your starting rotation. It just makes you deeper as a whole than it would be to shell out four years at $25 million a piece for Josh Donaldson or even four years at 30 million for Anthony Rendon real quick. I got to throw a wrench into something real, real quick. Like apparently the angels are trying to sign Anthony Rendon, like right this second, they are trying to get him signed like tonight. So anybody who wound up making it this far into the episode, which I believe is we just cleared the one hour mark, uh, kindly disregard every single thing we have said about Anthony Rendon. If he signed with the angels by this point, if he signs with the Angels by this point, or by the point that you've heard this, uh, that's going to put the pressure even more on Alex, and I think would essentially assure the third base will have to be either a combination of Riley and Camargo, who Alex mentioned again today, and Snicker mentioned they're fine with and they fully believe in long term, uh, or you're going to go through a trade. I, like I've said a million times, and I'm going to keep saying it until I'm proven otherwise, I think Bryant is the move, but I, I, the more I think about it, the more I really would also love the idea of Ozuna and a guy like Escobar or Dozier, but I'd prefer Escobar uh, and then add another pitcher on top of it, uh, Hinjin Ryu or, or something like that would be. Or if if Colorado really is interested in trading off everybody, uh, John Gray, someone, someone like that, someone who can slot into this rotation uh, and somebody you can slot in. I prefer a Ryu type who you can slot in as a number one because ideally I think Soroka as a number two is far better than going into the season with Soroka as your one. Agreed. And the good news is everybody's being aggressive. The aggressiveness is contagious in situations like this because every because everybody's got their eyes on so many different targets that as soon as other teams start plucking them off the board, then you got to start nailing down some of these guys that you were really, really committed to getting in the offseason. So... This is this could be huge. If the Angels wind up getting this deal done, you're right. This I, I think they gotta move quick. If the Braves are gonna do this, like they know, you know, the Nationals have known that Rendon was not coming back for a while, so they've been doing their diligence on other guys. Apparently they're not involved with Chris Bryant, but they're very in on Josh Donaldson. If if AA wants him back, if he's willing to give him the money, then I think it's entirely possible we could wind up doing an emergency pod sometime between now and Christmas. Right. 
right? You guys may see us uh, in a couple days doing an emergency pod here. Uh, but whatever the case, we have reached over the hour mark. I think we've prattled on enough about the winter meetings. Uh, when we come back next week, we may have some some big news to break regarding Anthony Rendon. Hopefully, we'll have some more news, a little bit more clarity on this Atlanta Brave situation. It's probably going to still be a few weeks before the Chris Bryant resolution comes down. Once that comes down, I think you'll see everything move a little bit faster. But as is, thank you guys so much for sticking with us through this hour-long episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, as always, leave us your comments, concerns. Thanks to all of our patrons, by the way. Uh, we forgot to thank you guys last week, but we thank you so very much. And thank you guys to all of you who have supported the podcast, whether it's just listening or whatever. Uh, we really, really do love being able to do this. And Doc, thank you. While I'm in a thankful mood now, thank you, sir, for doing what you do. Hey, likewise. And always glad to do it. I can't believe you haven't kicked me off the show yet. Never, ever, ever, forever, ever, ever. I'd have a riot <laughs> on my hands. <laughs> but... <laughs> With that, uh, I hope you guys enjoy. If we have an emergency pod, we'll talk to you then. Otherwise, we'll catch you next week right here on the Platinum Sombrero. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader